Hey, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kai Rosdahl. Thanks for joining. It is Thursday, today, the 13th day of April. News and a smile as usual on a Thursday. So let's get a going. Yours is way more newsy. You should go first because those were the ones I was going to pick, but then I saw you have uh, them already. (laughs) Well, well, you know, what's funny was I jumped on them really early this morning because I was like, you know what? I mean, Kimberly's going to go straight for these and we might as well. Well, then Uh, you took the other one I picked for your final on your show today. (laughs) You got to get up pretty early in the morning to beat Kai Rizal. But look, we can we can we can share them if you want. Uh, So, look, two stories, uh, both of actually really unbelievable import. The first one is. Uh, as I'm sure you've heard by now, the FBI has arrested and the Department of Justice is about to charge, if they have not yet charged, a 21-year-old airman with Massachusetts Air National Guard for having uh, put those documents that he stole, those class super classified and very relevant documents that he stole, up on uh, Discord. The amazing thing about this story, and this is reporting for, you know, I put the New York Times link in here, but there's uh, reporting in the Washington Post and in the New York Times. The forensics of how journalists and the FBI found this person are amazing. I encourage you to read it. We'll put it on the show page. But just if, if you think you can be anonymous on the Internet, you cannot. You cannot. Like what's some Full of the stop. examples? It's incredible. So, okay. So this guy took pictures of the documents that he stole, allegedly mm-hmm. stole, right, um, and uploaded to the Discord. And in the pictures of the documents, there is a sliver of counter and there's a sliver of the floor beneath the kitchen counter. Wow. The New York Times, working with Bellingcat, which is a which is a forensic internet sort of investigative group, um, found social network pictures of this person's house on the internet and matched the the sliver of kitchen counter and the sliver of floor in the document and went from there. Wow. It's it's So who wild. found him first? The, the journalists yeah, I don't, I don't or the know. government? That's a great question. That's a great question. I do not know the answer to that one. I don't yeah. know. But but the amount of sheer legwork on on both the government's part and the the New York Times mm-hmm. and the Washington Post is extraordinary. It's crazy. But if you think you can be anonymous on the internet, you are so sadly mistaken. So sad. I was listening on CNN today and they were saying that the, you know, the military was really approaching his capture with great care because they don't 100 percent know the motives. And right. if somebody knows that, you know, you're, you're being closed in on, they could and they didn't know exactly to what extent this person had mm-hmm. access. They could have done an even bigger dump, you know, mm-hmm. in out of spite or something like that, depending on like if they were legit doing espionage, then, you know, you could have had all kind of crazy stuff happening. But it is a wild story. I I can't help but um, pay attention to sort of the language around it, um, because it's always Mm. interesting how different people choose to characterize different people who are in these circumstances. Well, yeah. Yep. And I'm, I'm just that. listening. That's all. Just listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we yep, talked about sure. this Clarence Thomas story while you were away. And wow. Yeah, this but now latest there's development. More. There's more. Yeah. Just give all the Pulitzers to ProPublica. So they, well, you yes. go ahead. And we'll split these. We'll split these. Okay. I kind of so my goodness. So, 
originally Clarence Thomas's defense, he ignored ProPublica, but once it started <laughs> blowing up, he, you know, finally had to say, hey, say something. And the saying something was effectively, is it a crime to have rich friends? <laughs> now they're like, maybe not, but selling property and having real estate transactions with said rich friends who are also massive GOP donors and influencers mm. and then not disclosing it, that that's something a little different. That's something a little yeah. different. And this is what happened. I'll read the opening paragraph from ProPublica in 2014. One of Texas billionaire Harlan Crow's companies purchased a string of properties on a quiet residential street in Savannah, Georgia. It wasn't a marquee acquisition, just as old single story home and two vacant lots down the road. What made it noteworthy were the people on the other side of the deal, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his relatives. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you ought to read, read the next two lines. Because the, <laughs> yes. the transaction the, marks the, the first known instance of money flowing from the Republican mega donor to the Supreme Court justice. The Crow Company bought the properties for one hundred and thirty three thousand three hundred and sixty three dollars from three co-owners. Um, yes. And I'm wondering right. how much it was worth, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, you know, $130,000 is, you know, it's it's a lot of money for for uh, these properties in Savannah, Georgia. But here's the real bit about this that, that caught my eye. It's actual mm. cash changing hands mm. as opposed mm-hmm. to the first reports last week, which were stays in properties and airplane rides, all of which mm-hmm. Thomas could, however uh, uh, lacking credibility sketchily. it was, to say that they were, <laughs> right, sketchily, thank you, to say they were hospitality. This is... Cash, it's money. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Wild. Wild, wild, wild. Yeah. And now what's going to happen? What's going to happen? <sighs> hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, gosh. Crow said he purchased Thomas's mother's house, where Thomas spent part of his childhood, to preserve it for posterity. Yeah. My intention is to one day create a public museum at the Thomas home dedicated to telling the story of our nation's second black Supreme Court justice. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So for my news fix, uh, I couldn't resist this one just because it comes up so often in the various conversations I have with with friends and others in my oh-so-exciting life. Uh, There is a new study out from Pew Research Center. In a growing share of U.S. marriages, husbands and wife earn about the same. However, even when earnings are similar, husbands spend more time on paid work and leisure, while wives devote more time to caregiving and housework. And if you scroll through some of the findings of this study, there are just so many, like, interesting points. So a big part of the movement in these numbers is that far fewer husbands are the sole breadwinners in their marriages, at least among heterosexual marriages. So that is where only the husband is working. In 1972, that was 49% of marriages. Today, it's 23% of marriages. Um, And then even in these egalitarian marriages that husbands spend way more time on leisure specifically, um, and 
breadwinner wives are still in the minority, but even when they make more money, they still end up doing more housework. Um, and it's, there's, oh my gosh, it's just so many interesting details. And I couldn't help but notice, of course, that black wives are significantly more likely than wives from other racial or ethnic groups to be the breadwinners in their marriage. Same mm-hmm. as in 1972, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, there are a bunch of different findings in here. It's really fascinating. Um, I also thought, this bit about dual earner marriages having the highest income, which makes sense. Um, but according to this research, if you have a dual earner marriage, right, if you make more or less the same money, you're probably averaging out at $136,000 a year. If the husband makes the most money, $139,000 a year. But if the wife makes more money, Jointly, you're making around $145,000 a year, <laughs> Yeah, which I thought was very fascinating. Oh, totally. So all of this, especially that bit about um, husbands not uh, doing as much of the, uh, you know, caregiving and labor, which this also shows, it reminded me of the oldie but goodie cartoon from 2017. And I had to dig this up. Uh, by a French cartoonist named Emma, who has this amazing comic called The Mental Load, which explains in kind of devastating comedy how it ends up that when there are men married to women and both people are working and, you know, earning income, how it ends up that women usually end up carrying most of the mental load in Mm -hmm. often phrased in the as most (laughs) women on the side of those relationships will attest, infuriating question, well, why didn't you ask? (laughs) (laughs) So I highly recommend everybody read that to uh, save yourself from a fight in a relationship at some point in your life of any kind. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. There we go. All right. I'm already smiling. Let's do it. No joke. Science. Yay. So it's, it's pre- science and AI, which is why I put this in here. We've been talking about AI a lot on the podcast, a lot of chat GPT and, you know, all this stuff, what it's going to mean for society. And we're all kind of going, oh, my God, it's terrible. We're all going to die because the robots are coming or whatever. Here's an instance mm-hmm. where science is super cool. And I think we talked about this on the podcast many a year ago, four years ago, technically, when this first picture of this, the first picture of a black hole was released. Right. Mm -hmm. It's in a galaxy called the M87, 555 million light years away in the constellation Virgo. Anyway, there was a picture of the black hole. Far away, Kai. Come on. I I should. See, I'm not as hip as you are. I (laughs) missed the opportunity. Go ahead. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, I did. Anyway, so this picture of this black hole came out. And honestly, at the time it came out, it was kind of an orange blob with a little bit of a darkish thing in the center. But the scientists said it was a black hole. And I said, hey, that's super cool. It's a black hole. Now. That image has been reprocessed using AI algorithms, and here's the layperson. It's a slightly more defined sort of orangey donut, but I guess scientists (laughs) are going to be able to tell a lot from this, and it's really cool, and science and space are amazing, and we'll put it on the show page. But it's, uh, it's a good part of AI, I guess is what I'm saying. That's where I am. Yeah, 
I I think it's fascinating. I think it's fun. I love the different ways that NASA and, and other researchers are finding to present information about these really kind of esoteric mm-hmm. things about mm-hmm. space mm-hmm. that matter, but we don't quite, like your average layperson doesn't quite know why it matters other than, hey, that's cool. But right. the scientists are finding more and more ways to present the information to, you know, get us excited. And I'm we're 100% mm-hmm. being manipulated by science, and totally. I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So my first make me smile is for you because I know how much you love succession. Uh, and this just made me chuckle. This is a story in the AV Club that <laughs> said that Rupert Murdoch's divorce settlement apparently had a whole clause saying don't talk to the succession writers yes yes (laughs) that was that was in a piece by um gabe uh, vanity fair gabe sherman yeah vanity fair gabe sherman had this piece really actually sort of interesting about rupert murdoch and the and the agita and and sort of angst within his empire as trump went off the rails and all this jazz but apparently part of his uh, divorce settlement with jerry hall um said you may not talk to the succession writers about possible plot points which is great <laughs> well that so I, I pulled that one for you but i stumbled on that story because i was on the av club's website anyway for my real make me smile which is that uh yesterday librarian of congress carla hayden announced the 25 new songs that are joining the National Recording Registry in 2023. And two of them are a bit history-making. First of all, Queen Latifah is going in with her 1989 album, All Hail the Queen, making her the first female rapper included in the registry. And, as the AV Club goes on to say, composer Koji Kondo's 1985 theme for Super Mario Brothers is going to be the first audio from a video game ever to earn inclusion, which I think is super fun, especially since the movie is out. But then I was looking through this list, and there's so many other great things on here. I mean, I have to shout out St. Louis Blues, uh, which is apparently a 1922 song from Handy's Memphis Blues Band. Um, But also, um, where is it? Sherry by the Four Seasons, 1962. Uh, Imagine, John Lennon, 1971. Take Me Home, Country Roads, John Denver. 1971, Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett. 1977, that was 1971? No, no, no. That was 1977. Margar- take Take okay, Me Home, right. Country Roads was gotcha. 1971. Okay. Margaritaville right. was 1977. Okay. 1983, Flashdance, What a Feeling, What a Feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, Like a Virgin from Madonna is on oh, there. Lord. All I Want for Christmas is You is on there. And uh. Wonderful Thing, Gasolina. Daddy Yankee, 2004. I love this <laughs> list so much. That's cool. That's cool. We'll put it on the yeah. show page. It's a good list. Yes. <laughs> good All list. right. Well, that is it for us today. We are going to be back tomorrow for Economics on Tap. We're going to do the news. We're going to have drinks, and we're going to play Half Full, Half Empty. But for those of you who join us on YouTube, we're going to be taking a little break from the live stream this month as we you know, practice and work on some technical issues. And instead, what you could do, if you feel so inclined in that normal window when you might be joining us on the live stream, is to come together with your fellow Smarties and vote for Make Me Smart for our Webbies, please. Oh, no, you you, you got to explain how to do it. I'm not. You, yes. You have to do it. 
<laughs> okay. Tell, first so of all, tell them what a Webby's is, because I'm yes. not sure I could tell you. Okay. So the Webby Awards are basically like a People's Choice Awards for the internet. And we have been nominated in the business category for the Make Me Smart podcast. And we would love to win. I think we're like teetering in the second and third place right now for the category. And so we would love it if you would take some time to vote for us, ask your friends to vote for us. You can go to marketplace.org slash vote MMS to cast your vote. And we would really appreciate it. Let's go. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Charlton Thorpe, and our intern is Antonio Barreras. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Marissa Cabrera is our acting senior producer. Bridget Bonner is the director of podcasts. That is a check to see if anybody's listening, by the way. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on demand. Everyone listens. They're on pins and needles, waiting for every episode to drop. That's true. That's true. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.